Hey, everybody. Can you do me a quick favor? If you like the conversations we're sharing here on Plucking Up, can you please follow or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen? It'll encourage more people to tune in and to join our community. I really appreciate all of your support. You're listening to Plucking Up. I'm your host, Liz Bohannon. I am the founder of a socially conscious fashion brand called Seiko Designs. We sell beautiful apparel and footwear and leather goods and beyond being very stylish, we are also creating opportunity for female scholars across the globe to attend university and become leaders in their community and our world. So if you are looking to make an impact and elevate your wardrobe, you should check out Seiko. And maybe if you like free snuff, even consider hosting a Seiko trunk show. You can do that virtually and earn free and discounted Seiko. So over the last 10 years of building not just Seiko Designs, but this global community and a life of purpose and passion and impact, I have to be honest with you guys. I have had many a pluck ups. If you're like, what's a pluck up? A pluck up is a mistake a wrong turn, a rejection, a really challenging season, more than I can count, right? And I've become a little bit obsessed with sharing a little bit more of the behind the scenes stories of these shiny and bright highlight reels we so often hear about. So that's what we are doing here at Plucking Up. I get to interview some of the world's most successful and celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck-ups and how they moved on and up to keep building beautiful lives of purpose, passion, and impact. So one of the things that I've struggled with deeply over the last 10 years is self-doubt, right? This sense of imposter syndrome, and that is what we are leaning into today. In my, you know, 30-some, give or take, years of existence, I have rarely met people that are doing cool stuff in the world that haven't struggled with this inner critic that at times has stopped them from pursuing a goal or it's at least made them think twice about starting something or getting out of their comfort zone. I kind of joke that I feel like if you're trying to do something meaningful in the world and you don't have imposter syndrome, like... I don't know, maybe you're a sociopath because it feels very, very common that at some point in our journeys, we're going to experience that. So I find so much comfort, so much solidarity, so much community in exploring this topic. And honestly, I could not have found a better individual to have this conversation with than our next guest. Jamie Kern Lima is a self-made entrepreneur philanthropist. She's the author of a brand new book called Believe It, How to Go from Underestimated to Unstoppable. Before founding It Cosmetics, Jamie was a news anchor and she experienced this really bad and persistent skin issue that eventually brought her on this journey of building her own beauty brand. It Cosmetics. Have you heard of it, you guys? She started this company in her living room and then she sold it to L'Oreal for a cool... $1.2 billion, okay? Jamie became the first female CEO in L'Oreal's 100-year history. 
But of course, you know how it goes around here by now, right? We're going to dissect the story. We're going to get behind the highlight reel. And in this episode, Jamie's really going to share about that self-doubt. She's going to share about all the no's that she got along the way, including you guys. One brutal and heartbreaking rejection that is seriously going to make your blood boil and your jaw drop and it's going to stop you in your tracks, okay? But I just couldn't love more what we learned from Jamie. We're also going to talk about knowing, like how do you know when to let go of a dream, when to pursue a new one. It's just, there's so much, so much good stuff in this and she is just good people. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jamie Kern Lima. Thank you so much for being with us on the show. I have to say, I'm such a nerd. But before I started the interview, I went and grabbed my CC. I am like not a loyalist when it comes to cosmetics and stuff. This is the only thing that I have been using probably for five years. My sister introduced the, what's the official name? Your Skin But Better CC Cream to me by five years ago. And I have never used anything else. And I've never found anything on the market that I like more. Also, SPF 50. Yeah. You can't find other stuff with SPF 50 in it. <laughs> exactly. So, and congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's fun because it's like I've gotten to interview so many entrepreneurs whose products I love, but none that I literally I interact with your product every single morning. That's like a high level of product intimacy. And I now love I get it. to talk to the founder, which you is and I so have been fun. together for five years. We have. We didn't even know. <laughs> Um, so tell us a little bit about you've, you know, found what was a, you know, over a billion dollar cosmetic brand, but we want to kind of start as far back as you're willing to take us mm-hmm. into the Jamie story. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and were there things that emerged in the way that you were raised and the things that you were interested in that maybe were a little bit of foreshadowing into how your journey would unfold or did it really not kind of crack open until you had a really interesting problem of your own to solve? Yeah. You know, it's so funny how when we look back, it's like, oh, all these kind of things, right? Whether they're setbacks that turn into like setups for what we're supposed to do or just all those experiences that start stacking on top of each other that all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, wow, that's why I did that, (laughs) even though it made no sense at the time. Um, So, you know, growing up, I thought for sure, Liz, that I knew what my dream job was going to be. Like when I was in my living room as a little girl, I would watch Oprah every single day. And I always just thought, oh, I want to share like other people's stories, you know, with the, with Mm, the world. mm -hmm. And I just mm-hmm. knew that my whole life. And so when I was eventually working as a as a journalist and I thought I was in, in my dream job and um, I was anchoring the news and then I'd go out on the, you know, stories all day long and I started getting a skin condition called rosacea where, you know, for me, it came in the form of my cheeks would get super red, bumpy everywhere, kind of feel like sandpaper. And I would be anchoring the news live and... I started going through the season of kind of self-doubt because I would hear almost all the time in my earpiece from the producers when I would be doing live shows, um, anchoring the news, I would hear like, there's something on your face, there's something on your face, you need to wipe it off, you need to wipe it off. And I knew 
that it was, there was nothing I could wipe off. <laughs> I knew it was the makeup starting to break up under the, wow. the hot HD lights. And so yeah. I had no interest in beauty or a makeup, like nothing, right? So I started this like process of going, okay, going to dermatologists, figuring out what it was, learning there's no cure for it, but trying all the different like topical mm. treatments. And, and then I started trying to find makeup that would work. And so I, you know, started this, kind of the whole thing about, you know, go to the drugstores, the department stores, um, some of the pro makeup artists. I would ask for all the lines they use and try and nothing would work for my skin. And so I, I kind of had this, this really strange season in life where I was in the midst of self-doubt and I would have thoughts on air like, am I going to get fired? <laughs> am I mm. going to, like my inner critic would come out and I'd be like, am I, you know, because yeah. I'd have this redness coming out and I would just think, are viewers going to change the channel? Am I going to lose rating? Like it was this whole season. Um, and in well, the my gosh, that, I can like imagine, I mean, we all have our inner critic yeah. that is symbolically in our ear telling us what's wrong with us. You had an inner critic and then you literally had a real life human in your ear saying yes. something's wrong with you <laughs> like something's wrong fix it that is like a lot to be handling in the midst of you know a high stress you're trying to do your job and you literally have a voice in your ear being like something's wrong with you something's wrong with you like totally. that could really propel you into some major emotional kind of psychological doubt that it sounds like it did yeah. Yeah. And, and, but it was interesting because there's one thing that happened in the middle of all of it, right? I got this feeling kind of like this gut feeling like, oh, well, if you, why don't you create something? Like, why don't you, mm. if you create a product that works for you, it's probably gonna help a lot of other people. And I, I remember when that kind of like seed was planted, that seed of intuition, I guess that gut feeling was planted. And I started thinking like, oh, I bet you if somebody, if someone out there created this, it would be huge because nothing works if you have if you have problematic skin or if you have sensitive skin or and I kind of but then <laughs> talk about our inner critic then it was like oh I kept having this feeling like what if you create something but then my head would say things like you're not qualified you don't have any money <laughs> you don't have any connections you don't know anybody in the beauty industry so I went through this journey and I don't know if, you know maybe your listeners can connect with this where we keep feeling like we're supposed to do something <laughs> or supposed to keep going or supposed to go after a dream in our gut, but then our head is trying to like talk us out of it, right? Or sometimes it's other people's opinions. Sometimes it's yep. the lack of traction in our own business so far. Sometimes it's our own self-doubt. And I um, did a lot of things wrong. I talk a lot about a lot of the things I did wrong and believe it. But one of the things I did right was there were some big moments in my life where I I made the decision to like hear my gut and trust it. And that was one of them. So I'm sitting there anchoring the news, thinking it's my dream job. And I just had this gut feeling. And I also realized, I talk about this too in the book, is I realized like sometimes knowing when to let go of a dream is as important as knowing when to go after yeah. a new one. And I made the decision to do that, having no idea what I was signing up for, by the way. <laughs> Can you tell us more about the unique challenge? Because there's a lot of people, statistics show us that between the ages of like 20 and 35, about 80% of people are like, I haven't quote unquote found it yet. I don't know what my thing is. Mm -hmm. 
The other 20% are like, I do. I found it. And a lot of those 20% are like, and I knew it since I was a kid. You know, really similar to it sounds like your journey with becoming a journalist. Like you had that like, I watched Oprah. I dreamed about it. I did it. So I'm really curious about the unique nuance in your story of the added complexity of leaving the thing Mm. that you believed was the thing. Yeah. Was there an extra layer of fear around that Mm -hmm. of like, you don't want to leave this. It's a good thing you got going. You know, do you want to like risk that and jeopardize it for this like totally unknown quantity? Yeah. I think uh, two things about that. Um, I think when it comes to like our purpose, which a lot of people feel like, I don't know my purpose or why I, you know, I think two things. I think that we can have more than one. I think we can have several of them in in our life. And I also think that just not to be off topic, but I don't think it has to be your job. And -hmm. I think that's a really big, important thing for a lot of people because a lot of people are sitting in a job right now that they don't love and that they don't feel seen or acknowledged or fulfilled in. And of course, ideally, you want a job that you feel seen and (laughs) like what you're doing matters. But when it comes to your purpose, I mean, a lot of people are searching for that only in their in their job. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think that you can have a job that pays the bills, which is a blessing, mm-hmm. but you could find your purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be your purpose may be simply doing your morning walk and being like that one person in the neighborhood that says hi and, bri- and waves at, at a person who's never going to see another person the rest of the day. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like your purpose yeah. could be so many things in this life. And I think a lot of people live in a state of unfulfillment because they're putting all this pressure on themselves thinking they don't know what job they're supposed to do and that that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be their purpose. But I think our purpose can come in a lot of different forms. Mm. Um, But in the case that you're talking about with that, you know, here's the thing, like you talk a lot about like, what's the story behind the highlight reel? And it's really why I wrote this book and, and why I'm like excited to be part of your show, because I think that the highlight reel People just think my story is going from like Denny's waitress to journalist to billion dollar entrepreneur. And I don't think the highlight reel parts are the victories in life. I think the victories are when we just make the decision to hear ourselves and to trust it. Hmm. You know what I mean? And like when I look back at all the things I've done wrong, it's usually when I was like, oh, but this isn't feeling right in my gut, but they're the expert. Let me just listen to, or, you know what I mean? Those kind of moments. So, you know, it was risky to leave a job that I thought for sure I wanted to do my whole life, but I chose to put like my intuition about and, and to trust it, right. To trust myself and, and listen, when we do it, it's not like, Oh, we're proven right, right away. Cause after I launched at cosmetics, again, talk about the story behind the story, behind the highlight reel is like the first three years I was in my living room, couldn't afford to pay myself. I created what I believed was going to be a life-changing product, poured all of our savings into it, everything. And then I learned, oh, just because you have a great product doesn't mean it's going to (laughs) sell. And, but it was, it was three years, Liz, of Mm. uh, Sephora, Ulta, QVC, every department store, that I loved and shopped in and all the things all saying no and that they didn't think I was the right fit for their customers or I needed to change the packaging or I shouldn't use real models. I should only Mm. use unattainable images of aspiration, all this stuff, right? 
And it's crazy that we eventually became the largest beauty brand in QVC's history. It's crazy that all these things have happened. But the part I think is really important is the three years of no's from all of them, because so often we're in the midst of that three-year space, right? Where we're not getting traction in our business or we're being told we're not enough (laughs) or we're being told we need to change who we are if we're going to have any hope of making it. And when that happens to us, it's hard to stop and to hear our own knowing. And when it says, keep going, because sometimes it says, no, you know what? It's not right for you. And then, yeah. But when it says, keep going, to listen to that over all the stuff around us that says, there's no proof your dream is right. I think that's the victory. I don't think the victory is like selling your company for a billion dollars or this or that. I think it's when we live our life being able to hear what is our own calling or what's our own authentic truth and then just trusting it. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, I think that's the victory. And had I not done that, I would have given up years before we ever started having success in the business. So what did your process of discernment look like during the desert years? <laughs> being a being a fellow entrepreneur who's lived out of my car, who hasn't been able to pay herself for many years, like who's faced a lot of rejection as well. What were the things, what were the questions you asked yourself or what were the like practices that you engaged in to discern yes, is this because it's not right and I need to move on? Or is this just a season where I need to continue to show up and to say yes and to keep going? Yeah. So for me, prayer is a big part of that and my faith. Mm. And, you know, for me, I hear God in the form of my own intuition. And so for me, prayer is a big part of that. But also I did work early on of like, you know, we hear so many people um, talk about identifying your why for what you're doing, right? And it's been such a big topic of books and thought leaders and all that is to identify your why. And one of the things that that I wrote about in my book, because for me, I, th- I feel like it made a big difference, is I think often people create their why or their mission, like a lot of companies have their mission statement or whatever. But I think as individuals, most people don't attach a why to a goal. <laughs> but if they do, they usually stop at one that just like sounds really good. Mm. Or when they tell it to other people, it sounds really good. And I think it's important to have a why that's so deep mm. and so deeply personal or deeply meaningful to you that it gives you that rock solid foundation to lean on when you just got nothing else. And like what I mean by that is, you know, in creating it cosmetics, I could have had a why that was like, oh, I want to solve my own skin problems, which that is the why of a lot of entrepreneurs. Or, oh, I want to create a product that helps millions of people with their confidence, which that is true. I wanted to do that. And if I stopped there, right, and told people my why was to help millions of other women and men with their own confidence, everyone would have said, that's great. That's awesome. And and then we think it's enough. But what I talk about in my book, peeling back the layers of like the why beneath the why. And what I mean by that as an example is for me, when I realized no makeup would work out there for me and I couldn't figure out why, I had this big epiphany in my early days as an entrepreneur where I realized like, you know, oh, my whole life I've never seen a model with rosacea selling makeup on in an ad in a magazine, or I've never seen someone with bumpy red sandpaper skin 
in a beauty ad and all those things. And it made me realize a couple things. I was like, if I ever am able to get this business off the ground, I want to use models. And this was pre-YouTube. So this is like before people were showing bare skin. I'm like, I want to use models of all ages, shapes, sizes, skin tones, skin challenges, call them beautiful, mean it and prove the product works. If I ever get a shot to go live on television, let me put real women in the chairs as models and prove live how the product works, why I created it. But my deep why, right? Because what I realized was growing up, I loved beauty commercials. I always aspired to look like them, but they also always made me feel like I wasn't enough. Hmm. And I, I had this deep, deep, deep why where I was like, you know what? If we build our business and it works and we can get this company off the ground, I want to do it standing for something. I want to do it mm. using real women, every age, every shape. I want to try to, to shift how the beauty industry defines beauty itself for every little girl out there who's about to start doubting herself too, and every grown woman in person who still does. So it was this deep, deep why, right? And I went through a lot of seasons of rejection where if I wasn't, if I didn't believe I was doing something that mattered more than myself, I would have given up. Yeah. So I think that is really important to you. Which just for our listeners to know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're at a point now where like the before and after the using real models, like that's something we totally do in our company. If you look at a catalog, it's like all different shapes and sizes and ethnicities and ages you kind of started that, didn't you? I feel like you were one of the first beauty brands ever to use real models and you got a lot of pushback. That was not a normal thing to do when you had that dream or vision. You were very much so swimming upstream with that. Yeah. It was a big swim upstream. And yeah. I had amazing department stores. They are great partners of the brand now and beauty retailers, but they literally told me no for years. And they said, if you, you know, women will not buy makeup unless the images are so unattainable mm. and they could never hope to look like that one day. That's the only way they'll. And so this went on for years. And you know, one thing, Liz, that happened, we were about two years into our business and getting down to no money. We were selling two to three orders a day on our website. I didn't know how we were going to stay alive. And I got a phone call from a potential investor. And I was so excited because I thought this is going to be life-changing. Like this was a big private equity company and they are um, most well-known for taking like a lot of brands pre-revenue and then launching them into grocery stores and, you know, commerce and making them big household names. And I thought, oh my gosh, if they invest in our company, A, I'm not going to go bankrupt. B, like maybe they can use all their connections to get us into these retailers that keep telling me no. And so uh, we started doing meetings with them and we got to the diligence round. And, and you're literally selling two or three products a day mm -hmm. on your e-commerce site and mm -hmm. you're in these conversations. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can just like channel what that feels like <laughs> as an entrepreneur, you know, like, okay. Yeah. So you're, you're in the due diligence. You're pretty far along. Pretty far along. And I'm like, you know, so excited because I didn't know how we're going to stay alive as a company. I yeah. knew our product. We had um, Bye Bye Under Eye was our one product that was out. That was Oh like, yeah, I use that too. Oh, you do? So, okay. I so do. we had, we had Bye Bye Under Eye at this point, right? And I knew, I'm like, this is so good. They, I don't know how, I don't know if it was like the investor's wife, the head guy's wife, somehow they'd found about our product and they loved our product, right? So I was like, okay, this is huge. And we got pretty far along in meetings. We showed our product pipeline. We talked about the whole future of the company, you start these meetings. 
I thought this was going to be life-changing. And it came down to the final meeting. My husband and I flew up for this meeting and we were standing with the head guy at the private equity firm. So I was about three feet from him in person. And they said, he said to me, congratulations. You know, we really think your product is wonderful and uh, we want to wish you all the best, but it's a no, we're going to pass on investing in it cosmetics. And I said, okay, because at this point I was used to no, right? I've heard no hundreds of times. And I said, okay, can you tell me why? Like, can you give me feedback? Because feedback is a gift usually. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, I said, can you tell me why? And he says, do you want me to be really honest with you? And I said, yes, please. And he says, and he's standing about three feet from me. And my husband was on the other side. And he says, I just don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. And I remember standing there and a couple of things. So a lifetime of body doubt and self-doubt, like oh literally my flooded God. my body all at once. And I I definitely went to the car and cried after that. But I remember looking at him and two things. I remember having this deep feeling, literally no joke. I remember this feeling like it was yesterday where it felt like he's wrong. Like I had this feeling, like this mm. feeling he's wrong. And also, and I think this is so important in business to never take rejection personally, even when it sucks, even when it hurts. I never got mad at him. Yeah, hurt mm. and I cry. But I realized in that moment, because I had done that work on the deep why beneath the why, I realized like, oh my gosh, this dude is passing on investing in my company because, and he's just as much a byproduct of the beauty industry as the yeah. rest of us. He thinks I can't make him money because I don't look a certain way. And I was like, wow. And it fueled my mission, my passion of knowing this mission needs to happen. And I didn't hear from him for six years, but the day the day that L'Oreal acquired it cosmetics, it was, uh, you know, they're a public company. Because of that, they disclosed the purchase price. Because yeah. of that, it was on the homepage of the Wall Street Journal. It was everywhere. And I, I heard from him for the first time in six years. And he said, uh, congratulations on the L'Oreal deal. I'm so happy for you. I was wrong. Um, and I learned, had, had so two things, had he believed in me six years earlier, it would have been the most successful investment, you know, his firm had ever done. But also like there's a famous saying, rejection is God's protection or rejection mm. is the universe's protection. And like, had he believed in me, I was so desperate at the time. Like we were doing two to three orders a day. I probably would have given him the majority of the company for almost no money, but because he didn't believe in me, but a lot of people did believe in me along the way, but he didn't, thank goodness, because by the time we did sell L'Oreal, we were still the largest shareholders. Wow. So it was like, I don't know, anyone who needs to hear that story, because it's really why I wrote this book. It's why mm. I wrote Believe It, because you Google my story and you just see like, oh, there's a cool exit story or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's the real stuff you go through that if we don't share it, which is why I love that you shared this kind of stuff on your show, because if we don't share this, then people feel like they're alone yes. in their own seasons of rejection or their seasons of not believing themselves or having other people literally stare them in the eye and tell them they're not enough <laughs> or they're never going to make it. And this book is about like what you do when that happens to you yeah. and how you get through it. It's really why I wrote Believe It. So. Oh my gosh, Jamie, that story is so good on so many levels to be told just like outright your worst fear because right it's like the message of 
I'm not pretty enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not thin enough, whatever it is, and therefore people won't invest in me, they won't love me, they won't want to do business with me, and all the self-talk, right, is like, no, 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 that, that doesn't matter, but then you're facing this, like, a real-life consequence where it was like, nope, actually, your worst-case scenario just came true. Literally, someone told you, I'm not investing in your business because you're not, like, pretty enough or thin enough. And in that moment, to have the, like, quote-unquote worst-case scenario happen and come true and having done enough work on your why, on knowing your worth and value, to be able to find meaning in that and to not, like, crumble, I imagine even just being on the other side of that, the self-empowerment. You know, there's something really powerful about when the worst-case scenario happens and it doesn't kill you, it doesn't crumble you. Not to say you don't go in your car and really cry for a while and that it doesn't really, really hurt because we're still humans and like hurt things hurt, you know, but that is such a really, really cool story. And to your point of just like, of course you can see in hindsight, oh, it unfolded and it's so much better that we didn't, but you don't know that in the moment. You don't know that when you're crying in your car. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know about the billion dollar acquisition coming down the road, but what you do know is that like truest core truth of your own value and worthiness and where you get it and where you receive it and but oh it still makes my heart like sink thinking about just being told that in person face to face what did your husband do I'm curious I also work with my husband so I'm, I'm curious about what was that behind the scenes moment like yeah he was in shock I think he was in complete shock and he was probably teetering on how do I stay professional versus like just he couldn't even process that that was just said and Um, yeah, but you know, here's the thing is, I mean, there were so many no's along the way and from all of the retailers and a lot of them were hurtful. A lot of them were, Mm. a lot of them, I was like, at this point, how could this not be personal? You've been saying no for years and we're even doing well now and you're still saying no. But like, I look back and this is easier said than done because we're all human. But eventually I turned all of the no's in business, in in the journey of building at Cosmetics into yeses uh, in terms of all the retailers, right? Had I taken their rejections personally or been resentful or been like F you or like any of those things that we all want to do as humans. Sure. You know, there's that saying, like when we hold on to resentment, it's like drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the other person, right? Yeah. It's the same in business. And I know Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's hard, but I think- and listen, when a friend is not cool and and hurtful and horrible and personal, you don't want them as your friend. <laughs> you just don't. But in business, when people reject you, you just have to not take it personal. They're just seeing your own situation through the lens of their own fear. And they're not able to be a visionary big enough to understand what you're doing, especially if it's novel and it's never been done before. Yeah. You know, so I talk a lot and believe it about how so many experts, and by the way, there are experts that gave me the most invaluable advice and like huge gifts. Right. And, but the way that I would decipher that is like, does this feel right for me Mm. after I would hear feedback or whatever. Right. And so many experts haven't ever built anything themselves, you know, Mm. and even sometimes people that are touted visionaries, they still can only imagine something being successful if it's already been done before. Mm. And like, had I learned that any earlier, I would have saved myself a lot of nights crying myself to sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so good. And it sounds like, I'm guessing, was your faith a pretty big part of just, is that where your kind of source of groundingness and worthiness of like, despite what other people say, is that, would you attribute 
your ability to say like, actually, there's a truer story about who I am and, and my value and my worth in the world than this message that I'm getting from the expert or from the investor. Yeah, I think that like, it's so important. And I, you know, one of the things I talk about with self-doubt and learning how to turn down the volume on our own self-doubt on other people's opinions and, and turn up the volume on who we know we are, who God says we are. I'd actually go really deep in the book about going through a season of not just self-doubt and body doubt, but also God doubt. Mm. You know, I was raised going to church and then I went through a couple decades of my life where I would pray, but I didn't believe that God was real. I would doubt it. And I talk about this huge moment where I saw a therapist for the first time ever. And I wasn't raised in a family that went to therapy and I went on my own and the therapist, I was saying, you know, I'm doubting God exists and all this kind of stuff. And, and she said to me, well, what makes you think God can't handle your doubt? Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, why don't you, if he created the whole universe, what makes you think he can't handle your doubt? So I started this journey mm. You know, every time I would pray, I might be praying for like a friend's health or something like that. And at the very end of the prayer, I would literally say like, and God, by the way, I'm doubting you. I would say this obviously silently in my own head, but I say, God, I'm doubting your exists. So if you could please show up somehow and prove me wrong, I would appreciate it. In Jesus name, amen. Literally, like I would be that elementary about my prayers. And it went on for a few years, but I talk about in the book, some of the most incredible things happening to me that literally just flat out told me, people telling me they only did stuff because of God. So anyways, it's it's a, yeah, it's a crazy, <laughs> I go there, I go there and all the stuff, Liz, all the stuff and oh believe it. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad you wrote the book because I could spend so much more time chatting with you and diving deeper into your such layered, dynamic, nuanced story. You were such a gift. It was such a pleasure. Best of pluck to you during this new <laughs> season you. of not just being a mega entrepreneur and mama and investor and um, businesswoman, but also author. Congratulations. Um, so I know you're in the middle of a, she's in the middle of a whirlwind virtual COVID style book launch right now. And your time is so precious and we're so grateful that you joined us. So make sure you pick up the book wherever books are sold. Believe it. It sounds like we have so many more great, great stories in there for us. And then also, you know, if you're in the market for a great foundation with, with <laughs> SPF 50. You can't find it anywhere else, people. I'm telling you. Uh, so go pick up some It Cosmetics as well. All right. I'm going to let you go. I want to keep you on forever, but I know we're already over time and you've got a packed day. Thank you so much. This thank was so you. beautiful and encouraging to me on a personal level as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jamie as much as I did. And if you did, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This podcast was made possible by my amazing producers at Human Group Media. For updates and announcements about the show, you can either follow me on Instagram at Liz Bohannon or my producers at Sincerely Human. Okay, that's all you guys. We'll catch you again in the next episode. And until then, stay plucky.